everyone. Um, so this episode that you are about to listen to, this is going to be episode four. Um, so I do just want to uh, get on here real quick just to mention that this episode was re- uh, recorded before everything went down on January the 6th of 2021. Um, as everybody knows, the whole world knows currently what just happened to America. Um, and we had uh, Trump supporters literally ambush and they tried to murder lawmakers um, as well as take them take some of them as hostage um, as hostages and they're the reason why they attacked Capitol Hill which is in DC was because they wanted to stop the electoral votes um, Congress from counting the electoral votes as well as the certification of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris becoming president so as we all know what happened um, in November you know Trump supporters are really pissed the fuck off Um, and this has never happened before so it's more of like dictatorship slash fascism Um, if you don't know what fascism is do your research and study what is happening currently in our country right now Um, so you know on my platform I always want to address these issues because again this is Kumal's Unfiltered Convo's podcast it is no censorship right so I literally just feel like it's important for us to address what is happening in this country. White supporters, white Trump supporters, and even black Trump supporters and brown Trump supporters are part of this mess. Um, And we didn't just all of a sudden end up here, y'all. Let's not act like we just got to this place. No, this has literally been happening. What is currently happening is literally the tipping point of we've we not we not me me and the people who've been saying this for the past four years that trump is dangerous have been saying it literally for the past four years even before he got elected we've been saying it you know there's been a lot of people telling y'all warning y'all that this man was dangerous but people america white people christians brown people voted for trump now we are in this mess where people's lives are literally in danger we don't know what's gonna happen we really don't know but it's it's like i think what people need to start really having those honest conversations and taking accountability of how we got here it is white supremacy that is embedded in American history and our leaders and so many white people are part of this problem. Y'all did this, okay? And if you don't wanna listen to me anymore because I said that, that's cool. This Kumo's Unfiltered Convos podcast, but we gonna keep it real here. We need to look at the real problem here. And the real problem in this country is that America has never taken full accountability and ownership of what they have done to black people. They literally have put 
band-aids over a big ass wound that has been infected for 400 years imagine you put a wound on a big ass you put a band-aid on a big ass wound and you just you keep putting these band-aids right oh we're gonna have inclusivity we're gonna have we're gonna put some black people on here or we're gonna put the black square on our social media then that's good it 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 takes me away from doing the work and it's like no you're missing the point if you are not you as a white person are not holding your white people accountable and calling it out calling out white supremacy and how it perpetuates you are part of the problem a lot of church people literally thought i was crazy when i called out their favorite pastors who have close proximity to blackness because they know they've, they've helped all these black youth and they have all these black people around them so therefore it doesn't make them a white it doesn't make them a white supremacist or they don't perpetuate white supremacy and a lot of y'all need to freaking take ownership i was right this whole time y'all didn't want to listen though you thought i was crazy you thought i was crazy some of the people who attacked the capitol hill are our doctors pastors elected officials students white women white women in 2020 in the 2020 election 55 percent of white women voted for trump and these same white women were at blm protests in the summer and posted hashtag black lives matter y'all posted the black squares y'all were performative with your anti-racism work and then two weeks later you're dead you're silent you didn't say nothing we should don't see y'all saying nothing even right now with what's happening white people are really quiet right now why are y'all quiet guess who's speaking on these platforms it's black people those are the main people that I see speaking right now. Black people. Brown people are speaking up too. But white folks, this is on you. This is on you. America, when we say America, we're saying white people. Because this country has revolved around white supremacy. So we need to call shit out for what it is and do not call these fucking terrorists protesters. They are not protesters. They are terrorists. They are white nationalists. And the way that they were treated compared to BLM protesters in the summer who were fighting for black lives, who were beaten by the police, should tell you that we live in two types of America. So what I am saying to my listeners on Kumo's Unfiltered Convo's podcast, don't just listen, but I am challenging you especially if you are a white person i am challenging you to use your platform not just on social media outside of social media use your platform to say how you will take tangible action 
to literally fight and dismantle the white supremacy that is embedded within you. How will you fight it? Because guess what? You being quiet, you remaining silent because, oh shit, I feel guilty. Oh my God, this is, this is really happening. How can this be happening? We've been telling you for the past four years, actually scratch that, literally even more than that. For 400 years, we've been telling y'all. And now, this is on y'all, white people. It's on you. It is on you. So today, as you listen to this episode, whenever you choose to listen to this episode, I am challenging you to speak up. I am challenging you to check your other white family members and your white partners, friends. I don't give a damn if you have uh, mixed babies with black people. I don't give a damn if your best friend is black. This is on y'all. And I know that wasn't what y'all were expecting to get started with uh, the next episode, but I just wanted to touch on that. I know it's heavy. It's heavy. Um, so as you listen to this episode too, I do want to add that, um, we do touch on, um, just a life being a black transgender non-binary person. And I did say, um, you know, there's a couple things that I, on my end, um, need to correct. So I'm holding myself accountable um, I gave this, the wrong number of um, statistics in terms of how many transgender people have died from last year. Um, so it was actually, it's not, because um, I had said that there was probably like 390 something, but um, it's actually more than that. Actually less than that, my apologies. Um, so last year in 2020, 300, at least 350 transgender and gender non-conforming folks were killed around the world the majority of which were black and latin latinx trans women um so my number when you listen to the um the this episode is actually off so it's actually 350 transgender and gender non-conforming folks who were killed around the world and a majority of those were black and latinx trans women so I hope you enjoyed this episode and um, I will see y'all next time. Um, And yeah, thank you for listening and tapping in. And again, white people, and if you are a black person and you support Trump, I want nothing to do with you. Nonetheless, thank you to those who have tapped in and you're doing this work of dismantling white supremacy because it is in all of us. Even me, as a black woman, I am consistently unlearning this white supremacy that I have perpetuated because guess what? We live in a white society. And living in a white society, we have to unlearn how white supremacy works. Um, So thank you so much for listening and I hope you like this episode. Um, But nonetheless, enjoy this episode and we'll see y'all next time.
welcome to Kumo's Unfiltered Convos podcast. This is episode four. Yes, you heard that right. Episode four. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. And uh, that was just my guest that you heard for today. It's Dallas Diaz. I am so, so excited to have them on this episode. Um, so yeah, we're going to be tapping in and I hope y'all are excited. We are back, y'all. What is up? Uh, this actually, this episode, I'm just, I'm always excited. I know you probably, you're probably like, damn, Kumo's always excited about every damn episode. Be, and that's because honestly, like, just these conversations that we have, you know, to me, I don't take it lightly having the guests that come onto the show and this platform. So it's always exciting to just, you know, conversate with people and just getting to know more people. Um, so. You probably heard a plane, <laughs> and that plane that you heard is because we are currently outside sitting right now with my guest, uh, Dallas Diaz. They are, we're actually in front of a fire, so they created a fire for us, so we have like a little fire uh, go, fire sesh going here, so it's going to be dope. Um, so just to introduce my guest here, Dallas Diaz goes by the pronouns they, them. Uh, they are notoriously inept at writing bios for themselves. By day, they are a digital organizer, composer, and all-around anxious wreck. By night, it's anyone's guess. It's some real R2 slash D2 sh- shit. <laughs> Dallas is learning to talk less and listen more. And they realized the irony of writing that in a bio for a podcast conversation. Dallas is currently running a fundraiser to help a black non-binary person who needs to move to a safer living environment ASAP. Please share or contribute if you can, and I will put that link below. You can find a list of mutual aid projects, transformative justice, readings, bail funds, and digital actions to get your 2021 started right. Again, I will put that description in the um, info section below. But Dallas, welcome to Kumo's Unfiltered Convos Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me, and thank you for reading that whole <laughs> that whole intro. Like I said, I, I struggle writing intros for myself, just like, it's definitely a non-binary thing, definitely a Gemini thing, just like, who am I today? But... <laughs> Hopefully, listener, when you hear it, that's who I am still. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Honestly, I've been trying to get Dallas on here since last season. And then they finally decided to come on. And I'm really, really thankful that you are on here and just going to grace us with your wisdom and your knowledge. Uh, Dallas is just really an incredible, credible human and just really genuine, dope people. Like when you're around them, you just laugh and (laughs) they just make you feel really like you're the shit. So I'm happy that you're here um, and, you know, to get you started, Dallas, like, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, I know you were currently living in Arizona, but you recently moved <laughs> last year, correct? Yeah, to D.C. a year and a half ago. For sure, yeah. I um, I moved to Washington, D.C. about a, um, June 2019. Yeah, so before all that shit happened, right? But <laughs> before that, I, I was growing up in Arizona. I um, grew up in central Arizona, where, more like in Tempe and then went to college up in Flagstaff and did that. But I, uh, a lot of my, my work here and staying in Arizona was like working with a lot of these interesting like little Red for Ed movements and starting some of these, or not necessarily starting, but I got my start doing a lot of community organizing with a lot of these groups that helped turn Arizona blue this election. Wow. So that's been a, a wild thing to watch. So I just wanna let the listeners, listeners know, I'm currently, uh, 
as Kumo said, there's a little fire out here. So if you hear a little crack crack, that's me breaking firewood to put it on the fire. Some real big dyke energy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, now I live in DC. I am, um, yeah, I'm a digital organizer for this organization called Black Futures Labs. And so that's a, yeah, that's a, it's a really dope, uh, dope place to work. It's been really intense this past year, I gotta say, but. And just real quick, y'all, Black Futures Lab yeah. Is, is is founded by Alicia Garza, who is one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, so the actual movement. Um, so Dallas right here, I'm just like, every... <laughs> it's, it's really, yeah, it's, yeah. it's cute. I am, um, to be so completely honest with you, like, the reason why I even started digital organizing, like, five years ago uh, was because I saw these three women, like, help create... I mean, you know, you don't create a, a movement from a hashtag, right? But I was so inspired to see the way that they put this phrase and used used a hashtag to be able to create a whole language around, like, just Black Lives Matter. That's a declaration. That is a demand. And it is easy to grasp. It is easy to unpack and to talk about. So, and the fact that they did that on Facebook, that's the auntie website. <laughs> like... <laughs> These three, like, these three queer women fucking started a whole new social movement on the auntie website. Like, I was so inspired. So, um, yeah, I, I've been working there. It'll be a year this next January that, that I got hired and got to basically work under the person who created my fucking, the, I mean, a helpful framework for me to do the work the way that I do. So Wow, that's, that's incredible. And, like, even Patrice. Patrice mm -hmm. used to live in Phoenix. Yep. I think she grew up here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's one of the founders, too. So that's kind of, like, dope to just see, like, you yeah. in that space, like, working so close to, like, Alicia. I, I respect Alicia so much. Like, she's one of the women that really inspires me, mm -hmm. like, with her podcast, like, Lady Don't Take No. Hey, like, shout out. <laughs> I be listening to that all the time. I'm just like, yo, like, I just learned so much from her, you yeah. know? And I, I think it's just so dope to just see you in that space like just being able to learn so much cool things from her like I can't even imagine the like amount of knowledge that you're like being able to take in you know so like she put me on to this really delicious hot sauce called <laughs> brother brew brew <laughs> you put it in your ramen noodles let me tell you it's she's bomb. obviously put me on to a lot more other things but one of the best gems is this damn hot sauce okay I love some hot sauce <laughs> get you the now. link yes please get us the link we would love that but yeah, Dallas, like, you know, I and the cool fun fact of how I met Dallas was uh, shout out to the Obama Foundation. Um, you know, they yeah. really, we were part of like a program where we as community members mm -hmm. um, were really just involved in our communities and we were asked to do something like to show, to put our communities on the map. Yep. Um, and that's how I met her. I met them through that organization. Um, and you know, I think it's just so dope. Like, that was in 2018. We yeah. both met Obama together. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was such an interesting, interesting time in life. Because I'm not going to lie, I have a, I have, a, being an organizer, uh, every politician is an organizing target. It's not necessarily a friend or anything like that. And Obama's not my friend. Or And I have a lot of critiques on Obama, his administration, and the way that, uh, you know, just like any president, anyone who's leading this country it is an imperialist power and so there's decisions that you got to make but it was not so much about meeting him but just definitely getting to meet people like you being in that type of 
a program where they actually put resources in Phoenix, Arizona, mm-hmm. <laughs> of all places, um, for young folks like us to to get together like and, and try to make it like a showcase or our, our, our thing was to try to find a issue that we saw in our community and come up with an innovative solution um, to, to try to tackle it. So being able to, it was the inspiration of that space, just like the, the fact that like it was young folks like us being handed tools, a framework to like, even if we didn't agree with the person mm-hmm. who was named after, we're still able to challenge that have those conversations and then grow within that container and outside of that container too yeah no dope that that's so true and and, you know even for me too like like this year not like this year it's so crazy 2021 time is a social (laughs) construct linear time is white madness (laughs) i'm so weak (laughs) no for real time just happens to us yeah and we put value on it yeah no for real and it's just so crazy because it's like i feel like in 2020 Mm -hmm. you know it it, it revealed a lot, you yes. know, like with the uprisings and just like how fucked up our systems are. Mm-hmm. And I've always known that the system was fucked up, but like not on this scale. Yeah. Like where the you thing start- is, the thing that 2020 really taught me mm-hmm. is the system is fucked up, but it's not broken at all. It what is do doing exactly what it's designed to do. Mm-hmm. The way that all of us are out here like checking our accounts every day to see if we got that STEMI. But at the same time, when I'm on my phone looking at my account, I get an Apple News update that says, here's how the richest men in the world became billionaires through the pandemic. Mm. So the system was designed (laughs) not Mm -hmm. for people to be able to be taken care of, to take care of each other, Mm -hmm. but for people to to make money off of the sickness. Wow. And that, like, that even just sounds so sick. Yeah. Right? Like. I don't know, like, to, to know that, and, and that's one of the things that this year, I mean, 2020 showed me, too, mm-hmm. like, capitalism, right. and how this, the shit literally affects our daily it's lives. It's so incredibly insidious. Yeah, and, like, another thing, too, like, just going back to Obama real quick, like, I love the man, like, mm-hmm. you know, and like you said earlier, like, there's something that we don't agree on, and I don't agree with some of the things that he's done. And one of the things that I don't agree with, and I want it to be known on this fucking platform, that, as I said on, on the first episode, I believe in defunding the police right. and eventually abolishing the Absolutely. whole fucking system. Um, so, like, with Obama, like, one of his comments about him... It's a catchy slogan. Yeah, it's a catchy slogan. Like, they're not going to listen to us. Wasn't hope? <laughs> wasn't change a catchy slogan, my yeah, man? Yeah, and, like, that to me, I felt like... I don't know. I just felt like it was... And Obama has been an organizer before, mm-hmm. like, right before he became president. He was an organizer. Like sh- That was the whole thing about the Obama Foundation. It was like, oh, Brock became an organizer when he was your age. Mm-hmm. So, like, to hear him say that, to me, as a person who's been in these streets, mm-hmm. literally fighting, you know, during the protests, to hear him say that, like, it's like a catchy slogan, right. like, it was an insult to the to the activists and, and the people who've really been on the ground, like, doing this work. A lot of people have been arrested, have false felony fucking charges just right. because they were protesting right. for Black Lives Matter, have been tear gassed, have been beaten by the police, like... 
and had rubber bullets like shot at them like so for for him to say that it was almost like did you really talk to the people who've been on the ground to 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 for them to say for, and asking them why are they saying defund the police like why we they the answer we know by right? having to ask the question Right, but, like, I don't know, it's just, it's weird to me, yeah. you know what I mean? So, like, that really kind of was, like, fuck, like, please, you should have just been quiet, like, you shouldn't have said nothing, like, because that's not right, you know? Yeah. And and I think that in that conversation of defunding the police, hopefully, I, I hope to d- uh, dig deep more into that um, during the season as well, but mm-hmm. that was when I was, like, okay, Obama, like, you were kind of out of pocket for that one, so... To anybody who's like she supports Obama, like I like the man, but you know, like we got a critique, like yeah. this critique, like just like me too, like if there's anything that I do that's not that y'all yeah. don't agree with, and I think that's such an important thing. It's like I like you, I want to see you do well, so that's why I'm going to critique you and challenge you on the things that are just not matching up with who you <laughs> say you are. You know, like I think, I think we we put so much into the power of like coddling the people we love by mm. not critiquing them and asking them to grow so yeah yeah and i think it's important you know um so yeah we i love obama but <laughs> you were out of pocket on that one <laughs> 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 you really were <laughs> um but yeah like so we were actually just talking here before we, we even started recording because i haven't seen you for like two years yeah. like the last time i legit saw you was in chicago right like <laughs> When it was actually like after we like he just hugged us, yeah. <laughs> or like after I actually gave Janelle Monae that book I bought her. Oh, you gave her a book? Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. No, it was so wild. Okay, let me tell the podcast. So like I was fucking like, <laughs> and I was pulling looks in Chicago. I remember like we pulled up in Chicago. I said like they're like we yeah, where everybody's gonna hang out. We're gonna get together in the reception. I said I found a wig store. I'll see y'all in five hours. So I got hella looks, hella wigs, and I was like sitting there like cause I was putting on a wig for every fucking breakout session uh i'm a faggot i'm not gonna lie <laughs> like a twink um but whatever so i was like sitting there and i was like okay either i go to the little bookstore that they built upstairs and i go buy this book or and i try to like find janelle monet and give it to them um or i put on my wig and call it <laughs> but i was like hey no let me go do this let me go get the book whatever the book is like uh there's a whole interesting conversation about this person in the book and everything. What's the it's book? Like, What's the name? It's Emergent Strategy. It's really good. It's mm-hmm. by Adrienne Marie Brown, but like, there's also like some really, really uh, good critiques to hear about the whole that whole situation. We can talk about it later, but um, whatever. I was gonna go buy this book for Janelle Monae, and basically, I was telling that whole exact story to the person that I was like giving my card to while I was checking out. <laughs> And like they were like looking at me like I don't fucking care you know you know like that's what heading the card and then Janelle when I walks into the bookstore <gasps> right when I said that I just look at them they say go and I like run after them they use they them pronouns too but mm-hmm. I run after them and like Janelle 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 and like their bodyguards like trying to keep them going but like they stop and like give me that little Janelle when I side eye oh. <laughs> see the way I took get the breath when I even said it <laughs> I was like this book is for you they said okay I'll read it and that was it. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, you know, I just set my intentions. I manifest a lot of great you things. You manifest in my life. a lot of great things in your life for real. <laughs> just like you manifested Alicia Garza. I manifest a lot. Like that's just like two stories of like twenty, but what it's a different podcast. I need that energy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll teach you after we stop recording. Yes. Cause I'm like, what? Wow, no, that's dope. Oh wow! That we went on a whole tangent. You haven't seen me in two years. What were we gonna say? Oh yeah, no, just no. Like that's your like that's yeah. dope. Like I haven't seen you in two years. Yeah. We like, were talking about 
the movements of like just like what it is to be black in Arizona especially and why you got to get the fuck out. No, <laughs> just for like, real. It's it's um we were talking about how like it's just being black in Arizona, being black and queer, being black and trans, the more and the more and the more like I don't like necessarily saying marginalized identity. Like our identities are marginalized, yes, but it's like we didn't choose to be fucking marginalized and but whatever. I'll use that language right now for lack of having something better that I want to use right now, but like the more marginalized in the identity of blackness or whatever like degrees of privilege you are far away, it's like the more isolating it is. It's like to be black in Arizona is one of the most gaslighting experiences that I've ever had. Mm. Like, I swear you can't, you can't go out into downtown Phoenix, <laughs> into any business that isn't run by like uh, a racist, mm. a child predator, a rapist, someone who's a Nazi secretly, because we have shit tons of those mm-hmm. <laughs> actually in downtown Phoenix as well. So we are talking about how, and just also even like, being black in Arizona is also like, we were talking about the numbers of it. So when I was doing electoral work here with uh, Unite Here and Case and all that um, back in 2018, or yeah, 20, yeah 2018-ish, we would talk about, and we would talk about how like, the population of Arizona is 4% black, but the prison population of the state is 17% black. So we talk about how every, like, there's not a black family in this state hmm. that does not have, like, incarceration or, like, it is not touched by the state penitentiary system. And just what that does to an identity, what that does to people, what that does to a culture where it's, like, living in Arizona, especially, where everything is so carceral and everything is, has to be so tied to the punitive system it really just stifles the imagination of who we get to be as black people as black people because of what we're we're living against we're not getting to live for <laughs> shit when you live here mm-hmm. it's you're living to survive wow. you don't really get to imagine and be outside the lines and get to be freely trans you get to be freely queer you get to be freely just like just fucking out living your boldness living whatever you want to be as a, a joyful black person and so the black joy here is, is, you know, we were talking about how, like, you grew up in Tucson, you moved up here, and, like, there's a dope black person who does this over in Avondale. Mm-hmm. They're not fucking Avondale. <laughs> <laughs> but they in Tempe, and another person all the way over in South Phoenix. It's just, like, it's so, like, it's such a weird thing to be so isolated and so far apart, but still all going through the same trauma. Mm-hmm. Um as being black in Arizona, just the, the way that community is a, community is a verb, not a noun. Like it is an action that you do to be able to have community, to hold community, to, to create space for community. And it's something that always has to, uh, to change and, and uh, um, adapt. And, you know, like we used to have, you know, back in the day, South Phoenix and, and of all places fucking, um, What's that over there? Uh, little ritzy 
area that starts with an A. Arcadia. Arcadia, okay. That used to be where all the black people had to live. Really? Arcadia, yeah, and South Phoenix. And then now you see the way those places, like Arcadia, yeah, been hella gentrified, but like they're about to gentrify the fuck out of South Phoenix. So it's like, we just don't have that, that way that we ever got to really build in Arizona with black mm. people before the state came in with jails. Wow. And you just touched on a lot right now. Yeah. And, let's, and unpack. No, thank you. let's unpack <laughs> yeah. all that because I'm like, damn, you just like touched on a lot right now. And I think that one of the things that I, I want to, to for you to unpack on a little bit is you being a black trans person mm-hmm. um, and how you did mention like even just like not feeling like you could be like yeah. freely be like in Arizona. Right. Yeah. So like for you being a black trans person and then moving to a place like dc right. where there's so much blackness right yeah. like that's what drew me to it it's, it's it like makes you come alive yeah like like i told you um before we started recording like i spent my whole life feeling so isolated and like in this state one of the hugest i i moved for a lot of reasons but one of the big driving ones was like that feeling of screaming and screaming into a void um especially in arizona where it's just like the I wasn't really, I wasn't able to surround myself with people who were able to hold me in the pain that I had, mm-hmm. in the isolation that I had, or like, I remember actually like, the summer 2018, um, I believe, what was that young woman's name who was like, Nia Wilson? Nia. That one fucking, like, you know, we see so many, <laughs> the fact that we, I, can, I can name someone and you know exactly who it is I know you know where you were when you heard about that that one and it's like you know we find so many hashtags but it's like the one that like really fucking affects you like the five that really affect you and then you're desensitized to the next two and then the next one hits you but like I remember just like when that death happened it really just made me just like just little baby girl like (laughs) it really shocked in this like does not matter how you look as a black person okay let me be truthful like I'm yes I am a non-binary like trans black person but I'm also light-skinned so I do have that proximity that does create safety around me you know Mm -hmm. where like my like fellow like darker folks have less access to safety because of because of colorism because of white privilege right Mm -hmm. I have this weird like secondhand access or like weird type of access to white privilege even though like not necessarily but through colorism right Mm -hmm. but it's just still just it really brought in just like and that was like you know amongst like that summer was one of the deadliest for black trans women and then of course like there's always black men who are being killed and murdered so just like that summer just really fucked me up to the point that it's like it doesn't matter how we present ourselves it doesn't matter how we look doesn't like and it shouldn't matter how we present ourselves like we will not be protected and just really going through that pain nobody who I was around could hold that and just uh, the people who could like I was saying it's like it's weird because it's such a trauma bond when you're in Arizona where like we don't have spaces for black celebration where we don't have to also be in the fear of threat by people in Arizona who are going to feel threatened by us celebrating our lives Mm. um so that was something that was just always hard like growing up um 
in Arizona, not being able to celebrate yourself, just a survival with, with other people without it, you know, cops being called on you. Like I've had, I've been evicted from houses because we have a lot of black people there for a birthday party, you know, mm-hmm. like up, up in Flagstaff. It was, <laughs> given it was a loud ass birthday party and it wasn't anybody's birthday but Selena. <laughs> so we did get evicted for that, but I mean, the fuck? <laughs> So, yeah, I I came out as non-binary when I was in college, and like I was around just like a lot more people who were also non-binary, and I was able to challenge my my own thoughts and perceptions on gender. I've always been uh, like if I knew what androgyny was as a child, I bitch I would have been claimed it. What is it? And and what is it? And yeah, androgyny. And androgyny. So it's like a androgyny is just like gender fluidity, mm-hmm. like gender. I mean, what, whatever that, what does that even mean? Like, for me, I'm so far in this part where it's like, I don't even, I can't really even conceptualize the way that like cisgender folks, so not trans folks can, I don't know, I don't give a fuck how <laughs> people who aren't trans see me because they, they ain't even gonna understand. Um, but it goes hand in hand with just like the isolation and like not having spaces just to, and I don't even like need to celebrate myself out loud or anything like that. It's just like, places for community like having a picnic sharing a meal that's a celebration to me Mm. um sharing like yeah having a meal celebrating another day (laughs) is a celebration to me so that's something that is like when you do it in big groups here it can be very criminalized or because people just don't understand what they don't see and once again getting to those numbers where black people only four percent of the population but 17 percent of the prison population Mm that affects how like yeah fuck how everybody else sees folks like black people here but that affects how we see ourselves the possibilities that we give ourselves here mm. so that's why I had to get the fuck up out so I was able to just to reimagine more wow yeah Whew. thank you Dallas first of all for even just you acknowledging like for you as a light-skinned black person um it's like in the, when we talk about like blackness right like mm-hmm. I think that's that's one of the conversations that we also have to have in the black community how colorism has you know does play a part right yeah. in how even we are viewed as, as black people right like for me for instance I am darkest skin compared to you mm-hmm. so like the way that white people white people do not want to listen to me right they will never right like they would rather listen to you yeah. and I've seen this time and time again yeah. like with some of my friends who are lighter skin they're more acceptable right like it's more like they're either the acceptable black person like no they speak for the black community because they're lighter skinned so it's kind of like they're calmer right Mm -hmm. like we can't really kind of control them in a sense as we can control them like we just got to make them appease our audience and and that's something that I know for me like I look back at certain situations and I'm like how come when I said it, nobody listened to me? But when that person said it, the lightest skinned person said it, it was more acceptable. Yeah, it, it wasn't was aggressive, real. right? Mm. It was real, right? Mm. And I'm like, but bitch, I've been saying the same shit mm-hmm. that they're saying. Like, what are you, like, what's the problem? And I think that it's important for us as a community to really acknowledge that too, right? Yeah. Like, to say, no, there is a problem within the black community where we, we either don't listen, like, let's talk about colorism, let's talk about even you being a, a, a black trans person that's another experience that I will never know right like I will never know what that's like like I can I consider myself cis meaning you know one one gender or just like the gender I was given at birth yep 
yeah like the gen- like I'm also learning <laughs> um, like the gender that I was given at, at birth right so like for me I consider myself a cis black woman so it's like but my experience yes we are both black right but like I, my experience is not going to be the same yeah. and and your experience is not going to look like my experience yeah. right so I think it's like how do we bring those how how do we bring all those I, I guess identities or mm-hmm. experiences all together and having those true conversations totally. because when we even look even like last year I believe there was like 395 um trans people were murdered and these were black and brown people and that to me is like and if i'm wrong about the numbers i will so i think that's like that's been like the past few years is like 395 but like last year specifically like there's like 39 trans people women like murdered in the united states like that was i mean like this shit doesn't get reported correctly because like people get misgendered all the time like i yeah whatever i'll i wonder like if something would happen to me what they report my gender as but like that happens all the time but like people who actually were correctly identified and gendered like there was at least 39 trans women that were like murdered in this country that were like you know high volume mm-hmm. and all of them were black mm. yeah see and, and that that even just brings me to this place of like mm-hmm. The fact that I guess like a, a, a trans person's life expectancy is That's thirty-five. What I was gonna get to. That's what I was gonna get to next. Yeah, it's, it was wild when I was coming to age, like when I was just realizing that I was trans and had language for it. The life expectancy number I was I was like nineteen at the time. And the life expectancy number was twenty-three. So that's another thing. Like, and so now it's thirty-five. But woo, that's a decade for me. And it shouldn't be that way. So it, I think about that, and like I think about like that's that's also like that shit goes hand in hand with like um, I think about like the first time you learn about who you are, who other people are telling who you are. So like the first time I hear about like I'm coming into age as like trans person, and I hear about trans life expectancy. That's one of the first things that I hear. Like oh shit, that's great. And I also think about like in this American education system, like the first time that little black kids get to hear about black people in America and their contribution to America, it's as slaves. Mm. So what does that do? Once again, it's like, it, it hits back to the way that the frameworks that are provided to us that we are allowed to imagine in. So it's like the bigger conversation of like places not being the container for us to truly get to, to be the full potential of what we are, mm. whether that is Phoenix, Arizona, whether that is the way that we're being taught about our identities, our history, our people, whether that is life expectancy. I think a lot about like just the containers that people put around you and like your power to fighting it back. Cause you know, we all do have so much power. It's like, once again, that, that conversation of like um, all of our different privileges or degrees away from privilege and whatnot. Um, kind of like, creating a, a, a life for us that we, how do we push it back against it or how do we reimagine what we're doing? Mm. Yeah. You were saying. No, 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 you're right. <laughs> um, and, and like, even touching on reimagining, because you've mentioned, you've, you've dropped that I word a, a lot. Tonight. That's, a, that's the week we dropped the reimagining. <laughs> um, and it also, I think it's like, with the uprisings, one mm-hmm. of the things that it, 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 in me, for myself, speaking mm-hmm. for myself, it really sparked like I've, I've been to you know women's marches mm-hmm. I've been to red for ed like 
mm-hmm. marches. I've been to like when Philando Castillo died, like I went to a yeah, protest for yeah. him. Like but like the uprisings in the summer did something. It, it was almost like um you know when you're always like looking for your purpose and I feel like for me mm-hmm. for so long I was trying to figure out like what's my purpose? What's my purpose? Like where do I fit? Where do I fit? Where where where, where do I fit? Like what sure. do I do? And but I've always been passionate about people and and human rights yeah. and ensuring that people every person has a just lives in a just and equitable society, right? right? Like so for me in the summer like I remember when we first started talking about like abolishing the police. I didn't even know what the fuck that word meant, and like defunding the police, sure. like, and like reimagining, right? Mm-hmm. The, 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 these are words that organizers drop a lot, like re, re, reimagining, like, yeah. and and for you, Dallas, like being an organizer and seeing the things that you've seen until now, yeah. and even with the uprisings, yeah. Like, what is you looking at, like, even the the uprisings yeah, in the summer, ass, like? For sure. What does that look like when we when we say first of all abolishing right mm-hmm. the po- the police and abolishment like what does that mean like what does it mean slash look like mm-hmm. to abolish and to reimagine yeah a new world yeah absolutely I mean I am just one person and you know I'm <laughs> I am young and I need to read a lot more books and and get my own practice around this and language around this and like actually practice what I want to see but like. Um, I've been reading about abolition for a long time, like long time, bitch. I'm like <laughs> for like four four years now. It was something that I really got interested in when I was like first. Um, uh, I don't know, just like a lot of the the movement around all the like SB 1070 things like that, growing up in Arizona and like really getting deep. There's like this one summer that I just like read a lot of texts from, like. Oh, I'm going to sound so cheesy, but, like, just, like, a lot of texts from, like, folks who, like, led from, like, the Haitian Revolution to folks like Asada Shakur, Malcolm X, like, people, leaders, you know, people who lived through, I don't want to say leaders because that's the whole thing, we're trying to decentralize leadership, but people who lived through and wrote about all these different movements, and they always go back to this praxis about, like, how, um, it's called, like, transformative justice is one but it's like how we have to we keep us safe and everything that keeps us safe is our relationships like our very intense relationships like now that I know like that's not always true because some of our relationships are the most toxic places but the thing about transformative justice and reading some practices around that um, shout out to you know, transformative justice also like stems from the disability justice movement um, and like domestic violence, like so writings around like how to basically, yeah, how to create community safety but without calling the state. Because I mean, here's the thing: when I look at the way that the state, and when I say the state, I'm referring to police, I'm referring to sheriffs, I'm, re- I'm referring to ICE, I'm referring to FBI. Um, like state penitentiary systems they do not make money off of people getting better they make money off of putting people in jail they build no one builds a jail without the intention of filling every cell so the way that our system works right now is we work in a punitive system where you you do a crime and you get punished for it and the people who have the most power the most money 
can pay their way off or can be the people who are in charge of writing the crime and writing what's against the law, stuff like that. But if we actually had a system that was restorative, um, yeah, like restorative, it would be in a way where people who, you know, you see a whole person who does a crime, crime in air quotes, this like transformative justice model, what it does is it really puts the community um, also into being accountable for how a person heals after a crime or a harm is committed. So uh, transformative justice, what it does is it takes the person who like perpetrates the harm or the crime, or I'll, I'll say harm, who perpetrates the harm, it takes like the victim or the community victim, right? And it takes the community that it, the, the container that it happened in itself. And it looks at the three, those three parties and it says, okay, what does the perpetrator need? We all know that abuse and harm, these things happen in cycles. Mm -hmm. We know that hurt people hurt people. Like it is a thing, it is a reaction so like they can understand why the person who harmed them felt power in like, you know, I see like, this, this is my experience when like I've been abused. Like I can understand and like have empathy for the people who do it to me because I know that like they are trying to understand why the people who harmed them felt power in creating one of the most powerless moments for them. So when you see that and when you can like give more empathy to a person who commits harm or crime and able to get them the resources that they need to work on that emptiness or that hole or whatever it is, then you also get the person that the, the harm happened to, right? And you get them the resources that they need to heal. You help them build a, a accountability process with the person if they so want to who harmed them. And the most important part is the community accountability part. Because these things, they can happen in isolation. And when things happen in isolation, accountability doesn't happen. And that's how cycles repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. So the community gets really invested about like, okay, why, what was the condition that happened in this community, that exists in this community, that allowed for this harm to take place? And what does the community need to do to keep that from happening? So in practice, for me, abolition would look like, um, I mean, even on a small scale, let's say someone goes and, and shoplifts a bunch of food from a market. So an abolitionist transformative justice practices would not be to, okay, let's lock that person up in jail where they're going to become even more in debt. Now they can't get access to resources like food stamps or things like that where they would be able to get money. They can't get access to jobs because they have a felony. Okay, this person stole because they don't have access to food. They don't have access to, to yeah, to eating. So what can the community do instead of putting shit ton of money into police budgets that are punitive? and put more money into rehabilitation or getting free food programs, mm -hmm. getting more money to food banks. So abolition is taking, uh, defunding an abolition is like taking money completely away from these punitive programs and making things more proactive. Because mm -hmm. the way that we have it right now is reactive. Police never show up before a crime happens. They show up after a crime happens and they're just there to press charges or kill someone um, they don't we don't have the type of infrastructure where we're like seeing people's issues you know ahead of time getting them the resources that they need so they don't have to have 
you know, whatever reaction that they're going to have because, you know, out of survival, we are all traumatized people and we're all trying to survive through our traumas and like that is what causes us to do some of the wildest shit. Mm. So what would it look like if we had more proactive systems and places where you have more access to food, more access just to free fucking housing? There's so many, there's so much housing that is open and people are holding out on because they're waiting for someone to rent, but like, it's a pandemic, bitches don't have rent. Right. <laughs> it's a pay right now. Um, so that's what, that's long-winded answer, but my imagination is defunding the police is taking away the way that we are living in this punitive, reactive system and then putting it into more proactive solutions. Mm. No, that's a good answer. And you did touch on on we keep us, we keep us safe, <laughs> right? Um, and that's something that being at the protests and being on the grounds, you know, with organizers and activists and, and protesters, that's something that we would, you know, chant like, we, wow. who keeps us safe? We, we keep, keep us safe. safe. <laughs> um, and um, one of the things for me, and I had this conversation with you um, via Instagram. Um, so a few weeks ago, we had a little black, he's not little, little, he's like 16 or something like that. And he had autism, oh, a, a black right. young teenager that went missing. And um, my first instinct, I literally was hesitant to post that post about him because it said, if you see him, call the police. Right. And, and I remember being and like... no, that's not it. Right. And I remember being like, what the fuck? Like, I don't want to post it because the police, like, they've literally killed mm -hmm. people with disabilities and autism. Like, they killed Muhammad. I, I never know how to say his last name, but they killed a man by the name of Muhammad in 2017, yeah. and he was at the park, and he needed his dog, but yet the police, like, literally just attacked him, and they knew that he had, he had this yeah. problem, and he told them, like, hey, I can't breathe, and they still literally murdered him in broad daylight. So from, from hearing about his story and seeing about George Floyd, like, I was very hesitant to even like post that post because I'm like, what if they kill him? Yeah, what right. if they, they find him, right? Because he has autism. His first instinct is going to be, I need to protect myself. Right. Right? Like, so he's going to obviously do harm to you. Like, that's his first instinct, right? Yeah. So in my mind, I was like, I don't even want to share this story because I feel like they're going to kill him. But then I shared it anyways. And then in Dallas, and, and I put like a little um, thingy of me saying how I didn't want to share the story. And then um, you you came in my DMs and you were like, wow, like it's it's sad that we even have to like like where else can we go? Right. I think that's what you said. You said who 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 can we call? Yeah. And and it's like yeah, like who can we call? Like, what does it really look like when we say who keeps us safe? I mean, we keep us safe, yeah. right? Like that's for me to be honest. Like, that's where I've kind of been like it's struggling. Still so yeah, it's still so it's so hard. Marvelous, I think. Yeah, because, that might not be the fucking word, but. It's, I don't even know about it. <laughs> because we don't know it yet. We don't know. Because it's like, it's like, for me, I don't feel comfortable calling the cops because I'm like, what if they, like, they're literally killing black people, right? right? Like, right. so in the past, like, I would have been like, yeah, call the cops. But like, I'm really struggling. I'm like, yo, like, if somebody broke into my house, I probably would call the cops. Yeah. Yeah. I would because I'm like, ain't nobody going to drive to my house. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like if I was being, if I was in danger, like I would call the cops, right? right? And and to me, it's like this is a struggle that I currently have because I'm like, I don't trust the police. I just don't. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, that's where. I mean, I don't have all the the answers myself because it's like so it's something I'm still trying to put in practice, and it's something I don't have. It's like, but 
what are the alternatives that we can build with once again these strong communities like if if you have like is there ways that we can build like within our apartment buildings like tenants unions and um, so that we know that like if someone breaks in or breaks through like we can call this neighbor or we can call these five neighbors and they're gonna come and have our back it's like that really that this concept of the small means all the small reflects all so when you work in it's all about it's all about um, depth and not mass so when you build depth and when you build deep relationships with you know a few close people or people like intentional relationships rather than like mass superficial type thing the the power is or the, the this organization happens like mass movements are great and things like that but if you don't have these deep relationships that doesn't get sustained so like what would it look like if alternatively instead of calling the police we had some type of task force where we had people who are trained because uh, we have that we have that we have I have a, I was hanging out with a friend earlier today um, who does like who is a, a caseworker and specifically is trained to report and respond when people are having mental duress. Mm -hmm. So what if we put more money into that? And these people weren't armed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> these people were mediators, conflict management, conflict mediators, caseworkers, mental health professionals who could be dispatched instead of the police to go and to be able to de-escalate the situation. Police don't actually know how to de-escalate a situation if it doesn't involve a taser or a gun. So that's, that's my thing, it's like, what, what can we do instead to build these alternatives? That's where the money should reside, <laughs> in my opinion. Oh. So weak. <laughs> Shout out to that person. I need to figure out his name. You the, you the real MVP. <laughs> no word. Um, and, and who knows? And maybe, I don't know, I feel like we're going we're gonna to figure it out. You know, because we're starting to have these conversations and conversations provide tangible action. Right. That's the whole point. We can't just keep talking, but no tangible action. Right. We got to have solutions and tangible action. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what that what that looks like. You know, I'm, I'm really interested to see what that's going to look like. Yeah. You know, those yeah. are the questions that I'm, I'm having now. Like, what does that look like? Same. Like keeping us safe and, you know really defunding the police and putting that money back into our communities like what does that look like yeah. um the wild thing about the whole fucking like carceral system to me is like if it were truly actually trying to do what it it like there should be no money on policing but we have all these private prisons and for-profit prisons but it's like if police officers or like people who are in law enforcement were actually doing what they're setting out to do which is like solve crime rid the, the rid whatever <laughs> the country of crime then um then really they would be doing their best to try to abolish the police as well like shouldn't the police be trying to abolish the police and like the need for their jobs to even exist mm -hmm. that's how you know it's a money thing yeah it's, yeah no definitely um and Another thing I do kind of want to just like yeah. touch on real quick. Sorry, y'all. We are outside, so you might hear some background noise. Uh, sorry about that, but 
this is a good conversation. Um, <laughs> I do also just want to touch on because you did mention on about how you know you were part of the electoral like mm. organizing as well, yeah, and the digital or organizing in mm. terms of like pol- um, the the elections that we had yeah, in November. Yeah. Thank you so much for your hard work and oh. what you've done. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're part of that, so that's really dope. Um, one of the things that you did say earlier was how you talked about seeing the win for Arizona right? yeah and Arizona like you being sowing those seeds prior to the win that we had sure in 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 November so Arizona is finally a blue state it was not a blue state yeah um, <laughs> for like I don't know how many years like 20 something years over that over that okay yeah. yeah it was like a long time like it was it was a red state a conservative state it still it is still okay. is absolutely yeah it don't get it is. twisted <laughs> it ain't it ain't there yet it's gonna be it's gonna be a while um but like you know you're one of the people who sowed seeds you know and yeah. and to for like for you being the person who who was able to see those mm-hmm. th- seeing your your sure, labor sure. you know like yeah i can't lie it's uh if you're, if you're talking about asking how i'm feeling <laughs> it's it's bittersweet very bitter <laughs> very bitter <laughs> why but also sweet i'm happy for y'all like huge fucking shout out always to shelly jackson hey the G. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the only person oh and aza shout out to aza, oh, aza G. i love aza i had coffee with her like a few weeks ago oh i supposed to have coffee with aza today but i <laughs> we'll get to it <laughs> those are honestly okay and like um I don't know this person, but I know there's a little person coming up named Trinity, so shout out. Trinity Miracle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was on my podcast. Yeah, so shout out. Oh. <laughs> but besides that, I don't care. No, I do, I do, I do. But here's, no, I should have just said that. I'm sorry. I should grow the fuck up, actually. <laughs> but like I said, it was, like, the, the truth is, it's like, um, once you find a place in Arizona to, like, organize and to be good, you're good to go. But God damn, like organizations that I started off with um, and I just happened to be with like um, they were sure yes it's like woo blue we're Democrats whatever the fuck that means but I was still working with people who were transphobic as fuck would actually just refuse to understand my pronouns felt discomforted by it personally I don't fucking understand that and like the the spaces that I was in organizing like kind of and I don't say this to, to, I say this to challenge people to keep on going, right? And just to know that, like, yes, we have this, we have this foundation, we have this, like, this influx of great young organizers, but I just hope that, like, people don't stop trying to, once again, if you love something, you critique it and you ask it to be better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that's where the bittersweetness was. It's like to watch all this hard work, but I really, I, quit working in Arizona and went to do more national stuff because of how completely transphobic and anti-black it was in these spaces still. Mm. So it's great to see like the, I, I was shocked actually. Like I was just, I was shocked to see it actually happen uh, this, this time around. But for me, I just, I'm always looking out for the young trans people who come after me. Um, and I just hope that now with like people's wins and people being excited that they won't forget like the way that they still need to work mm. and the people that they're still leaving behind in, in some of these movements and spaces. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. 
And now I want to ask you this question. Mm -hmm. How are you taking care of yourself, like self-care mentally? Because you've been doing a lot of work, (laughs) you know, and and we believe in taking care of ourselves. (laughs) Totally, totally. I'm not going to lie. Self-care, it has been hard as hell this year. This year has seen me at some of my most broken places this past year. Just like being isolated, living by myself. And like, you know, that's a choice, but... I didn't expect to live by myself in the middle of a pandemic and I can't give back to the people that I love ever, but once again, like me saying this is one of my like most broken years is also like, but what does it take to break free hmm. of the things that you need to let go? I, I feel like this past year, yes, I was like broken and shattered, but that was the time for me to look at all these pieces and figure out which ones were the ones that were actually safe enough to pick up and wouldn't have me bleeding when I picked them up mm. and what was good enough to fall through the cracks. Um, all that to say, my fucking self-care thing is like just, just being really cognizant of, of being okay and being able to, to break apart and build up again and break apart and build up again and like being flexible of that. Um, other things in general is my dog Azalea Banks. I love that name. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. I love my little doggy. She... Um, she's the reason why I go outside every day and I'm grateful for that like damn I know I gotta take you outside so I can pick up your shit but (laughs) damn am I gonna enjoy this little sunshine too (laughs) (laughs) different podcasts your podcast uh, this other podcast called Scam Goddess just um, and just something that always keeps me going is knowing that there's music that I still haven't heard yet there's always gonna be music that I haven't discovered yet so Hmm. that's something that always keeps me going is like gotta find these new sounds yeah speaking of you don't you dj too yeah you're a dj like that's dope yeah <laughs> i mean I, like i said i don't i don't i have a hard time talking about myself just because i'm like you know but like what if i don't do that by the time but i will be djing still by the time you drop this but <laughs> well you've done it too mm-hmm. you know so yeah that's pretty dope um and then another thing that i want to ask you mm-hmm. is what do you have to say to a trans person currently listening right now and they they don't feel like they fit in they mm. they feel isolated and that nobody understands who they are mm-hmm. um and basically just feel alone especially a black trans person yeah absolutely well if you're hearing this then you know at least <laughs> you're not alone because i'm here like you're not experiencing this experiencing this alone and like the thing is like i get those feelings all the time like but something that always helps me is thinking about, okay, like, you know, like, my feelings are always valid, but they're not always true. I so, like, yes, I feel fucking isolated, but, like, I can call someone, I can, I can get out, and I can look at something. But just, I, um, oh, man, just for any, like, young trans person or anyone who's, like, feeling alone or isolated, just that's not me that's someone else out there <laughs> we, we did say we outside y'all. <laughs> just um you know like no one is going to advocate for you as hard as you can advocate for yourself but know that you are not alone in that like sure you feel isolated and like your perspective is unique but you are not alone in, in what you're going through and I don't know. Wow. Once again, we talked about that, that trauma bond, (laughs) but there's just so much more to live for when we get together and in community and are able to be together. So like, just don't like, 
no one is going to be like you and that is the most magical thing about you like you may never fit in but that's the biggest gift that you that you have is because like you may not feel like you fit in but like you laying down that path work is going to leave something for the people who are coming up behind you to see and to be able to 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 just see a beacon of light in well thank you yeah. thank you for that um, and then this is a question that I love to ask my I, I don't know if you know this question <laughs> they got really excited <laughs> um, but this is a question that I love to ask my guests every time um, at the end of an episode what is something that you want people to remember about Dallas Diaz mm. I hope people I just hope that people remember some random shit that we laughed about together <laughs> at some point <laughs> I just hope that um, I don't know I hope people remember my laugh if anything because that'll mean that we shared a little moment of joy or relief together or something like that wow thank you and I, I laughed because <laughs> I remember when we uh, first met Obama and you were like he got his shooters here <laughs> <laughs> he did though it was scary <laughs> I said, Zoop, don't look at me. <laughs> Shooters, meaning like his, what do they call those agents? His uh, Secret Service. His Secret Service. I don't think he has Secret Service anymore because he's not, you know, president. Yeah, he's not president. He still had his, like, private security. So he had his shooters. He had his shooters. We were like, damn. <laughs> they were everywhere. That's how we knew the, the big eagle has, has landed. Mm-hmm. That's when we knew. Yeah. But no, that was so funny to me. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, let me call my brother because mine going to come too. The fuck? <laughs> like, yo, that's so funny. But no, honestly, thank you so much for coming on this uh, platform and sharing your truth with us and your yeah. story and who you are. Um, I do hope that everyone listening out there that you got something from this. Um, and are they welcome to hit your DMs? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. Uh, <laughs> I didn't include my link to none of my little social medias. But yeah, if you want to hit my DMs. Uh, I'll put it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, hit it down. It's at Flies <laughs> But don't come to me with no fucking wild shit. Yeah, we don't play that. You will get blocked slash unfollowed. We don't play that. No, but yeah, so if y'all want to, you know, chop it up with them, um, hit them up in their DMs. And um, I hope that you like this episode. Um, But other than that, Dallas, thank you, thank you. And this was such a beautiful, like, I don't know, it's a dope experience. You're going to be my second guest for 2021. Hey, so fucking ready. It's pretty cool. So I'm excited, and I guess we will see y'all yeah. next time. Thank thanks you for, for tuning in. Thanks for coming to my fire fest. Yes, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little cold. A little Not going to lie. Yeah. But <laughs> we'll see y'all next time. Thank you so much for tuning in, and keep up, and we'll see you next time. Bye.